Uh, we're continuing in our study in the book of Romans this morning. We're going to uh, wrap up chapter 14. Last week, we looked at the first half, chapter 14. This morning, we're going to look at the second half. And since it's Mother's Day, I felt it my, my duty and obligation to offer uh, at least one good parenting tip. So I've been scratching my head all week thinking about what's the best thing that, that Cindy ever taught me about being a parent? What's, what's the best thing that I could pass on? Because Cindy's really the, the brains of the outfit. Um, so this is, I, I started making a list, and this is parenting tip number 231. And uh, this Cindy was actually driving the car when the kids were little. It's called Teaching Junior to Listen. And if you're way back there, you can't see that the, the posted speed is 35. The actual speed is 99. And that is, uh, that's a make-believe picture. Please don't send me bad emails about how we abuse children because that's not a real picture. But the reason I put that on the screen this morning is not just to have a little fun with Mother's Day, but the 14th chapter of Romans is actually a, uh, a list of instructions for those who are more mature in their faith and how they should care for those who are younger in their faith. And so chapters 12 through 14 really are about applying the righteousness to, uh, of God to our lives in very practical ways. When you leave here this morning and you go out to brunch or uh, you go out with your family, you go through your week next week, you go to your office tomorrow or back to, to school, how, do, how does the transforming power of the gospel, how does the righteousness of God actually work its way out in your life? That's what chapters 12 through 14 are about, and chapter 14 in particular is stressing the point that those who have been followers of Jesus for some amount of time have a responsibility to have that, that grace that's kind of come from the vertical, from God. They have a responsibility to make sure that grace goes out to the horizontal, that they care for others. Now, let me be clear here. We're not talking, Paul isn't talking about age. He's not talking about your, you know, you may be a little bit older, a little bit younger physically. Paul's talking about your spiritual age. So there are high school students in this room this morning that have been believers of Jesus for 10 plus years. Paul is writing to you this morning, and he's giving to you a challenge and a responsibility to care well for those who might be older than you in age, but are younger in the faith. So we're talking about our experience with Christ and how do we help others grow. Now, this is important to Green Tree in particular, because if you know our core values, we have three fundamental core values at Green Tree. And the first one is to grow disciples. The first one is directly related to this passage of Scripture and how we help those who are younger in the faith, whether they're our children or our, our peers or even those that are physically older than us but haven't known Christ as long, how do we help them mature? And in this particular passage, the way we're going to break it down is Paul says there are some things to which we should say no. There's some behaviors, there's some attitudes that we need to make sure don't spring up in our lives. And then there's some areas in our lives that we absolutely want to say yes to. And so with that in mind, hear God's word, Romans chapter 14. We're going to read verses 13 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. A brother simply there means a fellow Christian, man or, or woman. I know that I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. 
So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because that eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we ask you now this morning that as we, we have come to worship you uh, with our hearts and with our emotions, Father, now we come to worship you with our minds, with our intellect, with our reasoning. Uh, Father, you tell us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And so, Lord, we need your instruction. We don't need the philosophies of man. We certainly don't need my opinions or my thoughts. Lord, we need the truth of God to penetrate our hearts, whether we've been a disciple a long, long time, or whether we've just become a disciple of Jesus, or whether we're not even sure what we think about Jesus. Lord, every person in this room needs to hear from your spirit, your word, your truth. Father, I can't do that. Uh, I am not capable. You know my sin. You know the brokenness in my own life. That would uh, keep me uh, from proclaiming clearly your word. So, Father, I pray for your forgiveness, and I pray that you wouldn't let me be in the way. Lord, don't let me be a stumbling block this morning, but rather, Father, come through the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would teach us. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, when and where should we say no and when and where should we say yes? I'm going to start with a negative because I like to end on the positive. Paul gives us uh, two warnings of things that, that need to be avoided when we're thinking about growing disciples. So that's the topic of the morning. And let's look at the areas that Paul wants us to avoid. The first thing he says is we want to say no to a self-righteousness that hinders faith. Not, not God's righteousness, but a self-centered righteousness that hinders faith. Verse 13, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Now, Paul isn't saying that there aren't things we should judge. There's certainly there's a need for judgment within the church of Jesus Christ, but not the kind, this kind of judgment. And we'll explain it in a second. Let's decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Self-righteousness does not help growth. Self-righteousness is not a righteousness that looks at you and says, how can I help you? How can I serve you? A self-righteous judgment kind of stands back with its arms folded and says, why can't you be a good person like me? It ignores the cross of Christ. It ignores my own sinfulness. And, and, I, and what I'm really trying to do is look better by comparing myself to you. And Paul says, we need to lay that aside. We need to, we need to not be involved in that kind of judgment. That doesn't hinder, that doesn't help. It only hinders one's faith because you're not trying to produce growth in another Actually, what you're doing is you're kind of acting as the, the police agent, so to speak, uh, for, for what you perceive to be a right way of living. Uh, I had the opportunity actually with Tom Warner and with Scott Holly, probably at least 
a dozen years ago. When did we go to Russia? 2099, somewhere right around in there. And one of the things that struck me when we were in Russia, we flew into Moscow, and then we went 400 kilometers north to the town of Cherpovets, and we stayed in people's homes. And when I happened to be staying with, with one of the pastors, and as we were walking into his apartment building, it was amazing how everything was just like one color. It was like cinder block. And there was, there was no uh, discerning one building from the next. They all looked very drab and very similar, no color, uh, no expression anywhere on the outside of the buildings. And I thought, this is really kind of a sad place. And then you walk in the door, and, and the pastor, Jane, brought me into his home, and he opened up the door, and there was color everywhere. There, was, there were paintings. There was self-expression. There was, you know, here's who we really are. And what we found out after being there for, for a few days was you never took that self-expression outside of your own apartment because you never knew who was watching. And you didn't know if, if your neighbor was maybe with the secret police and they were going to report you. Friends, the worst thing we could do to the spiritual family of Green Tree is practice a self-righteous behavior that makes everybody afraid to be honest about who they are. The only way you grow in your faith is to acknowledge your need for the grace of God. And as we, we don't celebrate sin, but we certainly need to make Green Tree a place that is safe to come and confess our sins because people aren't looking over your shoulder going, what did you do yesterday or the day before? But rather, we all stand in need of God's grace. If we don't do this, if we practice this self-righteousness, the result is we put a stumbling block of faith because now we're centering in not on faith, but on behavior. And faith comes from the heart. And what Paul says is don't cause someone to stumble in their faith, in their trust of Christ. Because following Jesus, putting your trust in Jesus, is not following a set of rules. We're not seeking to grow rule-keeping legalists. Our desire is that we would grow disciples that are desperate not to keep the rules, but desperate for Jesus and his grace and his mercy. I kind of joking a little bit. I was joking a lot when we put the picture on the screen. But one of the things that, that Cindy did teach me as a parent as we would, we would try to raise these three kids was in every situation, even if our kids did something wrong, even if they blew it, even if they made a mistake, and, and Peter, I don't know where you are, but I appreciate you not going into all my mistakes from high school, but we weren't trying to put them down when, when they were wrong. We weren't trying to, to crush their spirit. Rather, we were trying to ask the question, what's the best way we can help this, this one of our kids grow? How, how do we address them in a way that will help them understand what they did was wrong, but also move them in a right direction? There's a desire there not to be self-righteous, but to promote growth. Paul says we've got to say no to this self-righteousness that keeps others from faith. The second thing he says is that we need to say no to producing unnecessary sorrow that does great harm to faith. Notice his key concern is faith. Verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now, we covered this last week, but bear with me for a minute because I want to go back to it and remind you. When Paul is talking about what we eat, you're like, okay, was everybody vegetarian or what's the deal there? Uh, In case you weren't here last week or you've forgotten, When you went to the meat market in Paul's day, there was always a discount section, and the meat in the discount section had been offered in a sacrifice to an idol, to a false god. 
And so some Christians would go to the market and say, well, the God isn't real. That's a false deity. And the meat's cheaper and it's just as good. That's just fine. I'll go and I'll buy that discounted meat. And they were, had the right to do that. Other Christians who were younger in their faith that, and, and hadn't quite figured all of the nuances out yet would look at that and go, wait a minute, that meat was sacrificed to an idol. Aren't you supporting false worship? And they would be grieved. They would be hurt in their heart. There would be sorrow in their heart. And so Paul is saying, you know, saving a few pennies, you know, might seem like the practical thing to do. But if you're actually hurting somebody in the process, don't do that. Don't lay that burden upon them. Don't lay that grief. Don't lay that despair upon them. Also, don't go to the other side of the corn where you give a set of rules and they're grieving because they can't live up to your expectations. Paul is calling us to be very careful not to destroy the faith of another. Now, Paul isn't saying you lose your salvation. Paul isn't saying that, that if I choose to do something that, that you think is wrong, that, that you're going to lose your faith and that you won't go to heaven. That's not what Paul's saying. The, the terminology here is that my activity has the, the, at the end result of erasing your joy in your faith, confusing you, uh, bringing spiritual harm to you, instead of helping you celebrate the grace and the mercy that has found you in Christ Jesus. Paul says, don't silence their joy. Give them cause to celebrate. Don't grieve them. Don't harm their journey of faith. I, I, I read this news article this week, and I couldn't believe it. Um, when you kind of think about a surprise where you get really excited about something, and I, and I read it a couple times. I assume it's true. It was, it was right off the AP wires from Luxor, Egypt. Um, and it's talking about the funeral of a 28-year-old young man who was a waiter in southern Egypt. Um, he, had, he had died from a heart attack. But the funeral turned into a celebration when he woke up after being declared dead. How does this happen? Hospital officials had pronounced dead Hamadi Hafaz al-Nabai, who came from the village of Nagal al-Saman in the southern province of Luxor after he suffered a heart attack while working. His family says grieving relatives took him home and, according to Islamic tradition, washed his body and prepared it for burial on Friday evening. A doctor was sent to sign the death certificate found... found excuse me. The doctor who was sent to sign the death certificate found it strange that his body was warm. At closer observation, she discovered he was still alive. The mother fainted upon hearing the good news. With the doctor's assistance, both Al-Nubai and his mother were awakened and soon were celebrating with guests. Now, I will never again complain about the healthcare system in the United States of America. How does that happen? But, but think about, and I'm not making light of death. Please don't hear me. Don't hear me saying that. But think about it in this term. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, Paul says. Because God is gracious, you've been made alive when there was no hope for you. Think about receiving somebody back from the dead and what kind of celebration there would be in, in contrast to those who walk around with such a, a burdensome uh, work-centered self-righteousness that causes sorrow and, and literally spiritual anxiety in others. Paul says, you, as Christians, we've got to walk around with a silly grin on our face all the time, not because our life's easy, but because we're astounded in this new life that Christ has given us. And we must be careful not to harm our younger brothers and sisters in Christ because they belong to him. Look at the warning that he gives. Don't by what you eat destroy the one for whom 
Christ died. I didn't die for you. Tom Warner, elder of Green Tree Community Church, didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. My responsibility, our responsibility to one another is to, is to celebrate that and to cause that celebration in every aspect of our lives, in every area of our faith. If we don't, the net result will be immature, spiritually stunted community that has no part in growing God's kingdom. So those are the two things that Paul says, say no. Where does he call us to say yes? He gives us some very positive encouragement in this passage. The first thing he says is say yes to the freedom that we have in Christ. Verse 20 and then in the middle of, uh, excuse me, verse 14 and then the middle of verse 20. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Everything is indeed clean. Young believers need to be focused on the transformation of the gospel, not on a set of rules. And Paul is actually doing some, young, some teaching here for the young disciples, and he's saying, you know what? Technically speaking, that meat is perfectly fine to eat. Now, if it harms you, I'm not going to do it, but there's some growing that could take place in your life to understand that the freedom that you have in Christ, you haven't been called to a set of rules. You have been called to the grace and the mercy of God. If you go back to Romans chapter 12, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but verse 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's what we call young believers to. We call them not to be focused on rules, but on gospel transformation, on how God changes you from the inside out. When's the last time you heard a great story, whether it's here at Green Tree or some other setting, about, about someone in, in their faith, and the story was all about how a set of rules changed their lives? When's the last time you heard a great story where somebody said, I never knew it before, but once I followed these five rules to the T, my life changed for the better. I've never heard that story. I've heard a lot of claims about that on, on diets and things like that, but nobody's ever heard a story where somebody says, learning the rules was what really set me free. What sets us free is the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus. I was in Denver this week with some friends in our denomination, and we were talking about church planting on kind of a, a bigger platform and how to, how to really kind of rev that up again in our denomination. I have the opportunity to serve in, in that, with that group. But we were the, I was with a group of guys, and I've known most of them for a long, long time. And so we started our meeting just kind of going around the circle and catching up. How's everybody doing? What's going on? One of the guys in the group has had a son that we've been praying for for a long, long time. And this son is now, I guess, in his, in his late 20s. And he's just had a hard road. He's just had a hard life. He's made some poor choices along the way. His parents have really sought to love him well and show him God's grace, but it has not been easy for him. And he is, he's just stumbled time and time again. And so my friend, his name is actually Tom, is sharing about this experience. And then he starts to get tears in his eyes. And he goes, and then I got this call that, that, that you know, if you've ever been in this situation, you want to get. Because I got a call uh, about a year ago in the middle of the night, and it was from the county jail where my son was incarcerated. But it didn't sound like my son. It didn't sound like his voice. And I can hear him on the other end of the line, and he's literally weeping, and he's just saying the same thing over and over again. He's saying, Dad, he found me. Dad, he found me. He says, what, what do you mean? So he says, Jesus, he found me. I'm a new person. I get it now. I understand. All this time you've been telling me, but, but he found me. Friends, there's no set of rules that can ever create that kind of transformation in our lives. Paul says, say, say yes to the freedom that we have in Christ because it's not a freedom to sin, but it's a freedom from the judgment that we deserve, and it's a freedom to join God in his mission to change this world. 
Say yes to freedom of Christ, but also say yes to walking in love. The agape, the selfless love, the opposite of the self-centered self-righteousness. This is a love that doesn't consider yourself first at all. Walk in that kind of love, putting the spiritual health of others above my freedom. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Selfless caring for young believers is the goal, not exercising my rights. Am I free to have a glass of wine with dinner? Absolutely. But if I'm sitting with you and that's a problem for you, then no, I don't need that glass of wine. Your spiritual health is more important than my freedom. And that's what Paul is trying to say. Where Christ had lived for us and died for us, he now calls us to live for him and to live for others. And he, and he puts it in this term of, of walking. He says, you're no longer walking in love. You've got you've to switch your course. And you think about walking. You think about just walking down the street and having a conversation with a friend. It's the most common thing in the world. And Paul's saying everyday life needs to be practical life gospel instruction. Uh, I have a friend here at Green Tree. A lot of you probably know Jim Bingley. And Jim called me a couple months ago. He goes, I want to do a fly fishing uh, uh, kind of hangout class for young dads. I said, you want to get dads and sons together? He goes, no, no, I just want the dads. I want to get like, I don't know, four or five or seven dads, and I want to teach them how to fly fish so that they can have hangout time with their sons or daughters who might want to learn to fly fish. It's a way to kind of just, you know, get parents and, and, and moms and dads, you know, uh, hanging out together with kids. And so he just, you can go to our website and find it. Actually, if you want to sign up, he's got a couple guys already. I think he's got room for a few more. But I thought, what a great idea. That's walking. Just doing life. I mean, Jim Bingley taught me to fly fish. I've caught trout with Jim Bingley, okay? So if he can teach me, he can teach you. But, but if you're a young dad and you're just thinking about a way that maybe you could create a hobby to spend time with a son, what a great idea. But there's a guy saying, I've got something I could pass on to someone else. The gospel has been passed on to me, and now I can be used by God to pass it on to someone else. Paul says, let's walk in that kind of attitude. The third thing Paul calls say yes to, I have four of them. The third thing is this. Paul says, say yes to kingdom values. Verse 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, not that trivial, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul says, you, you older believers need to teach young disciples the beauty of righteousness and peace and joy. And, and again, not to belabor the point, but righteousness is God's justice. His, his absolute refusal to, to let sin stand. It, it must be judged. And yet his absolute commitment to mercy and to grace coming together in the cross of Christ. Teach young disciples about that beautiful righteousness. That's the righteousness that God gives to you. Through Christ, Jesus paid the price for you. Every young disciple needs to, to know how to rest and abide in that truth. And then the peace that comes from that. Because we, we were in conflict with God. We are, we are rebels against God apart from Christ. We've committed treason against God. And the only way that peace is made is through the cross of Christ. But that's how it's come to us. And we now stand in that peace. There, there's no longer conflict. There's no longer a war between us and God. And how many young believers go around with this weight of feeling that they're not pleasing God enough, that God is somehow disappointed with them, that God is somehow in conflict against them, and we need to be the place the spiritual family says, no, you're right in Christ. He's paid the price for you. Yes, you have some growing to do. Yes, there's some things that God wants to mold and shape in your life, but God is not disappointed in you. God loves you. He's at peace with you. He adores you as his son, as his daughter. 
And that's why you have the joy of your faith, which is not a, a giddy, happy silliness, but it is an emotional security in every situation. There's no circumstance that overtakes you and overwhelms you completely because you know who you are in Christ. Are you going to go through hard times? Absolutely. If you're a young believer here and somebody hasn't clued you into this yet, let me be the first. Your life will not be simple by following Jesus. The pain of life will not go away. In fact, in some ways it will get harder. But you can have joy in every circumstance, in your darkest hour. Again, not a silly laughter, happiness, but rather an understanding that even in the storms of life, Christ will not abandon you, and you are secure in him. What a great gift to pass on to people. What a wonderful, thoughtful gift that God calls older disciples to give to younger disciples. When I was in, in, a, in ninth to 10th grade, there was a man in our church, Pete talked about coming to church. There was a man in our church that had me over to his house almost every Saturday, probably 40, 40 Saturdays out of the year, and he had yard work for me to do. And I'd work for four or five hours, and he'd pay me, you know, pay me a little bit of money. And we'd dig up a stump, or we'd trim some bushes, or we'd you know, do a variety of different things. And he'd work with me for a little while, and then he'd go run errands. And then he'd come back, and we'd have lunch, and we'd talk. And then I'd go and do some more work, and I'd, you know, I'd go home about one or two. And it, it dawned on me afterwards what he was doing was not just giving me a little job and a little money on Saturday. My dad wasn't a Christian at that time. My dad didn't become a Christian until later in life. He was discipling me. He was sharing the truth. And it was, you know, we talk about, you know, sports or hockey or whatever, but it always came back to Scripture. It always came back to what were we learning about Jesus. And he'd tell me what he was learning about Jesus. He was, I guess, in his mid-40s, a very accomplished lawyer in our town, and, and he was discipling me. He was passing on this gift of righteousness and peace and joy. That's the kind of congregation that, that we long to have here at Green Tree that, that passes on these kingdom values to the next generation. And the fourth and, and final uh, yes this morning is this, an honest say yes to an honest self-assessment. Verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, that doesn't mean you don't talk to other people about Jesus, but it, he's talking about self-examination. In other words, uh, when my mom used to say, I'll take care of your sister, you don't need to, that's where, that's where Paul's going with this, okay? You, you, it's, it's a full-time job looking at yourself, right? Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. In other words, Paul says, when, when you look in the mirror of Scripture, you're to be congratulated if you're one of those disciples who really is walking in love, passing these gifts on to the next generation, growing their faith maturing them, helping them understand how the gospel applies to their life. That's your calling. And that's why, actually, this is a great Mother's Day sermon because it, it, in a sense, Paul is talking to us about being spiritual parents, about, about nurturing and growing up the next generation. Uh, there's a, a friend here at Green Tree, Anna McDonald. Some of you may know Anna. She writes, freelance writer. She, uh, she's been picked up recently by uh, ESPN magazine uh, or ESPN website. And she recently completed an article on Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh was an NFL quarterback, and then he is more recently the, the coach of the 49ers. His brother coaches the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, his sister actually is married to the basketball coach at Indiana University. There's a lot of coaching going on in the Harbaugh family. But Harbaugh was talking about his mom in this interview, and he said this, I could count on her. I wasn't an easy kid to raise. I used to play outside. I never want to come in. I never wanted to stop playing to the point where I'd had a few accidents, a lot of accidents, and she was always there. I'd be a wreck without her. Like most moms, Jackie taught her kids never to lie or cheat or steal, but there was an important aspect of her personality that fit the Harbaugh disposition perfectly. She was competitive. One time, Jim said, 
When I was 12, I got in trouble at school. Apparently, his ultra-competitive personality was causing problems for other students. I always had to win. The gym teacher was mad and upset with me, Jim said. She got called, mom, got called in the principal's office. That never happened to me. I, when I got called, well, I, you may have had to go to the principal's office. When I got called, it seemed to be the parents weren't around. But uh, the mom gets called in the principal's office, and they had a conference with the principal and the gym teacher. They told Jackie it was time to do something about his competitive nature. I was offending some of the other kids, Jim said, so they suggested that they put me on Ritalin. My mom drew the line in the sand and said there would be no putting me on Ritalin. My mom liked my competitive nature. She stood up for me. Then a little while later in the article, he goes on to say, she fought for me that day in the principal's office. Now, you're going to talk about competition all day long. That's not the point. The point is this. Are there young believers at Green Tree Community Church that can look at the older believers and say, so-and-so fights for me? So-and-so is a model for me on what it means to walk in faith. So-and-so will, will fight for my faith. That's what it means to grow disciples. It means that we care enough about one another that we, we almost act like moms and dads in a way where, you know, you, you, you're not going to hurt my kid. Is this a place where people can say, you know, there's someone in my life who I can look to who loves Jesus, who comes alongside me and says, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to, I want you to grow in your faith. Because the facts are, friends, we're going to grow something at Green Tree Community Church. Something is going to grow. We're either going to grow selfish, self-righteous, immature disciples, or we're going to grow a new generation of disciples who will pass on God's love in Christ. It really comes down to what we say yes to and where we say no. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray for a generation of disciples who, are, who are, um, have been walking with you for a long time, Lord, and we need to be reminded this morning that it's not just about us. You have called us to partner with you in, in raising up the next generation, not just our children, although that's, that's the very clear and, and distinguishable group of, of folks in our spiritual family that need to grow in their faith and need to know what it means to know you. But Father, there, there are many people in our congregation that are relatively young in their faith. Father, help us not to, to come into this spiritual family, those of us who have been walking with you for a while, saying, what's in it for me? Father, help us to never have a self-righteous tone with others. Father, help us to say no to, to heaping sorrow into people's lives by having unrealistic expectations or demands. But rather, Father, help us to say yes to your plan, to your truth, to the freedom that you give us in Christ to enter into his mission for this world, to walk together in love and to pass on your values. Father, help us always be willing to, to look in the mirror of your scripture and see where we're succeeding and where we may be failing. Father, where we fall short in loving you by not loving others as well as we could. Lord, change our hearts. Bring us under a spirit of conviction that brings life, that brings joy, that reminds us, oh yeah, I can, I can walk with so-and-so. I can, I, can, I can help that family. I can help that friend know more of Jesus. Father, we have on paper a value that says we want to grow disciples. Lord Jesus, may that be true through your power, through your strength, your word, and your spirit. We pray in your name. Amen.